Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jet Set Sarah. And I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you join us today as we discuss the ins and the outs of Caribbean travel and we share the latest info and intelligence on this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Complete Caribbean. Today is May 5th, 2021, and we've got a jam-packed podcast for you today. And we're going to start off with my colleague, Brian Major of Travel Pulse, who's going to talk to us about something, an industry that has had incredible, well, ups and downs, shall we say, over the last year. Um, But there's some good news on the horizon. Brian, talk to us about cruising. Yes, I shall. This is just in. This just in for cruising. And this really is just in. The CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, has committed to Caribbean and world, really, cruises by July. CDC said Earlier this month, just last week, really, the beginning of last week, that they are committed to resuming cruise operations in the United States by midsummer. CDC said there will be several steps to speed the process to approve resuming sailings, including requiring cruise lines to prove 98% of their crew and 95% of their passengers are vaccinated. Now, we know how important vaccination is. Um, and Also, if these ships are to skip simulated voyages and move directly to cruising in the open water, they'll have to demonstrate these vaccination levels. The agency has also said it will respond within five days to applications for the simulated voyages that would precede actual voyages sped up significantly from the previous 60 days. Bottom line, things are going to happen a lot faster. CDC also finally revealed that the updated testing and requirements Testing and vaccine requirements for all passengers and crew will align with its guidance for fully vaccinated Americans. The vaccinations, as Sarah and I have indicated earlier, are a game changer. Same thing for Caribbean cruises. And uh, by July and then rolling out as uh, the year goes on, you can expect to see more availability, more destinations, and more cruising. I know we've had some, uh, as we come as we covered in our earlier shows, I know um, some of the cruise lines are departing from foreign ports, but in talking with uh, some of the cruise officials, um, uh, Michael Bailey of uh, Royal Caribbean uh, on a CTO broadcast said that we will continue to do that, but we need our American cruise ports to complete the picture. We need the American cruise ports to have full access and a full resumption of cruising the way it normally is. So good news there on this just in. Yeah, I, you know, I bet the cruise lines are, well, about to hopefully breathe a sigh of relief because obviously they want to get those ships back in the water carrying passengers. And as we know, cruisers really want to cruise and not everybody can afford. I mean, it's great that they were going to be able to open new home ports in the Caribbean, but not everybody can afford to take that extra step, that extra financial outlay to go and start their cruise from from the Bahamas or from Barbados or from St. Martin. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll have some more good news for you on another episode. Uh, We'll be soon telling you that, yes, the first trial voyages are starting. That'll be exciting. 
That'll be a big deal. <laughs> and Sarah makes a great point in that uh, affordability because uh, some of the, the a lot of the growth in recent years of cruising has come because there are you can drive to uh, the mm-hmm. port of embarkation rather than, you know, you, you avoid the You know, you, you, you save the expense of flying there and the, the convenience right. and the savings is, is significant. So they want to get back to that. Well. What we do Sarah. know is that when they, yes, <laughs> when, now we do know for a fact that, <laughs> you know, we've heard that the crews are going to be vaccinated. And we also know that most passengers, uh, you said the CDC says 95%, but I've been hearing from, I'm sure you've been hearing too, most cruise lines are saying we want everyone on board above a certain age to be vaccinated. And great point. The cruise lines right? are saying 100%. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All the passengers are. That's what they're which br- that's which their brings me to vaccination. Speaking of vaccination, this brings me to <laughs> can you imagine further changes in entry requirements for <laughs> going to Caribbean destinations? Well, I tell you, you need a stop which stopwatch to keep up with these changes, but they are very necessary. And in this case, I'm happy to say most of it is good news. So let me update you on what's happening with entry protocols as of today, May 5th. We know they'll change soon. Um, Anguilla, who, you know, had handled the pandemic so very well and had no cases and had put in very, very stringent safeguards, unfortunately had a setback almost two weeks ago. They had an outbreak. We're not sure how this happened and we're not here to... uh, and to guess or to speculate, but they had a set, set set back. And so they decided to close down the island for two weeks, which was probably the very best thing to do. We're coming up to the end of two weeks. We don't know yet uh, when they're going to reopen, but they did close on April 22nd for 40, 14 days. So we'll update you as soon as we hear what's next. But we send our best to the people of Anguilla. I know it's with a population of only 16,000 people, they have to be very, very careful. Um, and I know that they're doing their best to really calm down that outbreak. And I did check just before we went on air, I did check. And right now they have 95 active cases uh, of COVID within a population of 16,000. So much more than they had before, which was zero, but, you know, relatively small. And I know that that's going to be well-contained. But moving on to other changes that have happened. First of all, as of so May 1st was a big day for the Caribbean. So May 1st in St. Kitts and Nevis, as of May 1st, if you're vaccinated, you no longer have to quarantine or vacation in place, as they like to call it. You don't have to do it for 14 days. You now can reduce your quarantine time to nine. So if you recall a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, I went to Nevis. I had to vacation in place for my entire stay, which was five days. Um, if I'm going back as a vaccinated traveler and I was staying longer, I'd only have to vaccine to stay in place for nine instead of 14. So better than a kick in the teeth. Um, also, Grenada as of May. Yes, Grenada as of May 1st. If you're vaccinated, you're only going to have to quarantine for 48 hours as opposed to five days. So that is a huge, huge benefit. Um, Also, they've decided to start to charge, which you can understand. They started to charge for that second test that you have to do on, I think it's day four or day five. Uh, That was free. The nurse would come to you at your hotel and it would be free. Uh, Now you have to pay in advance. No word yet on cost, but you have to pay in advance through the website before you go. Uh, in the BVI, uh, right now, if you go to the BVI, you are required to quarantine slash vacation in place for five days. But as of May 15th, if you've been vaccinated, 
and you bring proof of your vaccination and you take a test on arrival when you get there, you are free to roam as long as that test comes back negative. So I'm not sure whether that's a PCR test or a rapid test that you have to do on arrival. I would suspect it's a rapid test. But anyway, if you can show proof of vaccination, no more five-day quarantine for you. Off you go exploring the islands, which we know Brian and I love to do. Oh, yeah. Um, May 8th is a big date for Barbados coming up. So in Barbados right now, if you arrive there, you have to do between five and seven days of quarantine if you're not vaccinated. But if you are vaccinated, as of May 8th, if you can show proof of your vaccination and if you take a test at the airport, you only have to quarantine for as long as it takes to get those test results back, about 24 to 48 hours. And so the one thing I want to stress, actually, about the uh, countries that I've spoken about, Barbados, the BVI, Grenada, St. Kitts and Nevis, these these, uh, requirements are different now for vaccinated and unvaccinated travelers. But what remains the same is that you still have to have your COVID tests before you go. You're not going to get out of that at all. You'll still do your tests, whether it's three days in advance of travel or five days in advance of travel. It varies by island. Um, You will do that test, but as long as you can bring proof of vaccination, you'll find that your quarantine regulations are reduced or just taken away altogether. The one exception, the last piece of little item I have here, the one exception I have to that rule is the Bahamas, actually. Because as of May 1st, if you've been vaccinated and can show proof of it, you don't have to do any COVID testing at all to enter the country. So that's really big news. Um, here in Miami, I think Bimini is the closest uh, Bahamian point to us. We're, it's only 50, mi- 50 miles away. So... You know, it's kind of tempting for me. I've been vaccinated. I've done many a COVID test. But um, to, to think, I think they're going to get a lot of people coming from Miami who don't want to take a test but are vaccinated. I think that's going to be really big business for the Bahamas. What do you say, Brian? I'd have to agree with that. That is, um, you know, again, the vaccinations are a game changer. Um, the If you want, if you... You know, it also it's also made pe- people feel very confident. So I can I can, mm-hmm. can traveling and and I think we discussed that earlier. So I can definitely see people you know responding to that and saying, look, I, I'm fully vaccinated. I can go over to the Bahamas right away. You know, no tests, no you know, I, I'm good. Um, and it works. Yeah, and you know, this is a close-in destination. So I think that's all going to work out very well. And uh, you, you know, we also have to recognize that uh, in these vacation destinations in the in the in Barbados and and I believe in the BVI and other places, um, certainly in the Dominican Republic, uh, which uh, you know has uh, has adjusted some protocols. We discussed that previously. Resorts are making testing available. Incoming testing, mm-hmm. departure testing, and vaccination opportunities, and vac- and pointing out vaccination uh, sites, and they are vaccinating these these resorts are vaccinating many of them are vaccinating their vaccinating their, their staff. own workers through various yes. programs. So yes. um, again, game changer. I think so, too. And, and just bringing home our point that, um, you know, obviously, whether you get vaccinated or not is a decision for you to make. Um, but if you want to travel, pretty much you're going to have to, you, I think it looks like you're going to have to get vaccinated, right? Yes, anyway. Yes. That's what the cruise lines are saying. And uh, Yes, yeah, yes, extends, definitely uh, if you want to cruise. <laughs> you have to. Uh, well, you know, we've, we've even had to break the broadcast because we just just now as we're as we're um, as we're conducting our our podcast, we got news that the CDC has released guidance 
for cruise ships to take simulated voyages with volunteer passengers as part of its COVID-19 conditioning conditional sailing certificate application. With the issuance of these documents, cruise ship operators now have all the necessary requirements and recommendations they need to start simulated voyages before resuming restricted passenger voyages. The path is getting clear. We're, 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 we're <laughs> on the home stretch now. So uh, that's, uh, that's the very latest. You guys are getting the, the latest information. Uh, so there you go. There we go. I and love that. I think, <laughs> what do you think? I think it's amazing. I think it's great that we're so on top of the news that we have to get it in there as soon as literally, literally, guys, two seconds after that was released. So, um, you know, stick with us. We'll give you all the news. But I have other news, too. So, you know, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in our travel industry, not just in the industry itself in terms of, you know, hotels opening, that kind of stuff, hotels closing, but also people moving. So I want to talk a little bit about two moves that we have. The first one is Petra Roach. You might know Petra Mo Roach. She has worked with Barbados with the BTMI for more than 20, I think it's 27 years. So almost 30 years. She was, I know, right? She doesn't look, she doesn't look 30 years old oh. herself, <laughs> but her last was Petra's last position at the BTMI was interim CEO. And we just found out recently that she's now going to be taking her talents to the spice Island of Grenada. And she will be the CEO of Grenada's Tourism Authority. So we want to say congratulations very much to Petra. As from one Caribbean woman to one to another, of course, I have to give her extra special congratulations. We've worked with her a lot, both Brian and I. She's a dynamo. If Petra is in, Petra is in a room, she changes the atmosphere just by being in it. And so we're really happy for her. So congratulations, Petra. Congrats. And Yes. And I also want to say very, very best of luck to Patricia Marr. Patricia Marr is the outgoing CEO of the Grenada Tourism Association Authority. Sorry. And I've worked very closely with her for a long time. Patricia is from Ireland, but she's a real champion and fan of the Caribbean. Uh, we met, first of all, actually, when she worked in Jamaica. And then I think she was at the um, Grenada Tourism Authority, I think, for about six years. And such a huge fan of that island and of the region. And I know that wherever Patricia ends up, she's going to do a really good job. So we want to also send our very best wishes to Patricia and as well as say congratulations to Petra. Absolutely. Congre congratulations, Petra. And Patricia, great person, wonderful person, great to be around. So must, best of luck to her always. Yeah, we'll come see her in Grenada. We are thrilled today have, to have a very, very special guest with us all the way from the island of Curacao. Please help me welcome Paul Pennycook. He is a CEO of the Curacao Tourism Board. Welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us on Complete Caribbean. My pleasure to be here with you, Sarah. Just before we went on air, we were talking about the fact that Paul and I have known each other. We are, we are both from Jamaica and we've known each other, we'll just say since the early 90s. <laughs> well, Paul has had an illustrious career working with Air Jamaica, working with couples, really making his mark in tourism. And he took his talents to Curacao in 2018. So I'm very excited. Both of us, Brian and I, are very excited to have him here to talk about what's going on in Curacao. So I'll kick us off with the first question. So the question that everybody wants to know, of course, what is, can you give us an overview of the current COVID situation in Curacao? 
how many cases have you had? Um, how are you managing that? Okay, well, I'm pleased to say that we're doing very well in Curacao at the moment. We have had our major waves, if you will. And there was a point in uh, late February, early March, when we really peaked at uh, thousands of cases, I must tell you. But mm -hmm. I'm pleased to report that within the last seven to 10 days, we've averaged single digits in terms of the number of new cases per day. Uh, we've been going at a positivity rate of about two, two and a half percent. And at this point in time, we're only at 290 active cases and going down. Mm. Excellent. And are you finding those to be um, in the tourist areas or more community spread? Oh, it's, it's, entirely it's entirely local. It's entirely okay. local. We've had uh, very, very few um, visitor cases of, uh, of positive cases of COVID. Good to hear. I have to say, Paul, you know, uh, hearing that uh, when, when we talk about the cases that have occurred, um, it, it seems that in, in many instances, it is returning residents who aren't always adhering to protocols. Is that characteristic here? That's exactly what happened in our case, because when we had that big wave uh, late February, early March, it was exactly that. Uh, returning resident brought in the infamous British variant mm -hmm. from, uh, from Europe. And that created a real problem because that spread like wildfire in the community. So uh, we had to take on some really stringent measures. But as I said, those have really worked nicely. So we're at the point now where we're seeing single digit number of cases per day after testing, you know, five, 600 people uh, with a low, very, a very low positivity rate. And our active cases have come down very, very low to um, low 300. I'm sorry, partner. I had to, I had to make that point because I, I know we, you know, we, we talk about the, the vacation, the visitors and, and tourism, and they have to adhere to every, you know, every protocol that the government sets, certainly. Um, but everybody has a part to play in this. So, you know, why don't I continue, Paul, and ask you, uh, how have you been able to, uh, in your position, um, manage the, um, the twin goals, really, of protecting public health and safety, but also, you know, um, relaunching uh, important tourism activity. Um, you guys were a little, you know, it, it seems you take a, a longer uh, a time to reopen compared to some of the other destinations. But again, um, every destination is unique within the Caribbean and, and has to make decisions for itself. So um, how did you guys, how have you been able to do that? Well, I'm, I'm sure you'll recall that just about everybody closed down about a year ago in March, April, 2020. Uh, we, in Curacao, our single biggest market is the Netherlands. And by extension, Europe. Europe produces over 50% of the visitor arrivals here. Well, at the, in the middle of the summer, just about, in July of 2020, we reopened the borders, but we reopened initially only to Europe and about six or seven other countries. At that time, if you will recall, things were raging in the United States. So we did not take the risk to open to the US back then. Uh, and things went gradually well in terms of the number of arrivals we had for the first few months. And in October of uh, 20, we opened to four states, 
the tri-state area and Florida. And we kept that until the end of the year, when on January the 1st, we opened up to the entire world, basically, um, as long as you would take uh, certain precautions before coming in. Um, and those were, you have to take a PCR test up to 72 hours before you arrive. We also require a digital immigration card be filled out. And we require that what's called a passenger locator card be filled out. The passenger locator card carries a bit of a, well, a little health information, health history, if you will, as well as travel history, because we wanted to find out, of course, anybody who's coming in, had they been in a particular location, a high-risk location in the last 14 days or so. And, uh, you know, little health questions, not intrusive, but general things to ensure that you're okay. And of course, you had to take a PCR test. Just recently, we added something to that. Uh, we are now requiring that visitors to the island or everybody who comes in on the third day on the island take an antigen test. Even though they took a PCR before coming in, we are requiring that an antigen test be taken on the third day after you're here. And that's just another precaution because it is established that you can take a PCR and be positive three or four days later. So the government here is just want to make sure that uh, every visitor who is here remains safe and every resident who is returning is also safe in terms of not bringing in the virus and creating more spread. Well, sounds like some good measures, particularly the, you know, the third day PCR, sorry, the third day rapid test. Absolutely. Because as That's you right. said, anything can happen between when you get tested and when, you, and you know, three days into your trip. I wanted to, speaking of testing, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about vaccination. We, we in the beginning of the show, have talked about a lot about how um, people's proto islands protocols are changing because of vaccination. So I'm wondering, how would tell, you tell me, how is the vaccine rollout going in Curacao? And do you have any programs in which you're trying to particularly push to immunize tourism workers? Tell me about that. The vaccination program has gone very, very well in Curacao. We, as of, and it's 24-7, we can look at the numbers. But as I looked at them about half an hour ago, we have now vaccinated over 75,000 people in Curacao. And bear in mind that the adult population is about 106,000, adult population. Wow. Right? So you're, so almost, we, you're almost there. That's Sounds right. like you're we, almost we achieving that, that over, herd immunity. Over 70% of our adult population is already vaccinated. They've had their first shot. Right. Okay. Um, we have 30,000 people who are fully vaccinated. And so Excellent. you can well imagine that not only, not only have we had success in the older age group, which is how we began, but we were able to open up vaccinations to 18 and older like three weeks ago. And so we have had a very, very good success in getting the island vaccinated. Fantastic. So you you haven't had issues on Curacao with hesitancy amongst your population? Well, there's at all? a bit of that. There's a bit of that. But everybody's working very hard to make sure we overcome that. Because, for example, the the Ministry of Health and the Epidemiology Department, they have offered to go into establishments and speak with the workers. I mean, this is what we have done in the hospitality sector where they're actually going out and meeting with the hotels and they get other workers there and they discuss with them 
the benefits of vaccination, why they should vaccinate, and they take a team so that after that presentation, those who had been sort of waiting and seeing can be vaccinated. You that's know, so that's all we're working on. Awesome. Well, you're quite on your way to uh, to uh, reestablish herd immunity, uh, a tourism <laughs> activity. Uh, how do you think it's gone overall? No, um, we really think that's going to work very well because, um, as we said to the uh, the people in in health, we're very anxious to get to that magic number because we want to make sure that we tell the world how safe we are and that everyone here, workers, taxi drivers. Uh, the people at all the establishment, the restaurants, the attractions, and of course the hotels. Everybody is um, uh, vaccinated, and so we're we're doing it for obviously the local population because we do not want to have another wave, and we want to keep the virus out. But we want to make sure that we can invite tourists into here, knowing very well that uh, they're safe when they come here, and we, we're asking them to make sure they test before they come, and when they get here, they're in an environment. That's very safe because everybody has been vaccinated and so we're moving right along. We are also working on, and we've discussed this with the government, we want to get to the point where we can also allow people in who are vaccinated and they do not have to do a PCR. We're not quite there yet, but we are very much interested in going that route. When you have that, I mean, it's just going to be one more one more reason to uh, to be in Curacao. And, uh, you know, we're both, I speak for Sarah, uh, I know. And, yes, you uh, may, Brian, you may. Because <laughs> be uh, we're, we're of the same mind in so many things. And uh, we love Curacao and uh, we're, we're eager to return, um, as so many people are. So, um, Paul, thank you for this this brief time. We could talk to you for hours, but, uh, but thank you for this time uh, joining us on Co- Complete Caribbean uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you in Curacao. Yeah, man, I look forward to seeing you guys down here too, because as I said, we're well in our way with the vaccinations. So we'll be inviting everyone to come on down very soon. The, I'm so happy to hear that because I believe that there's a Keshiyena with my name on it that I'm coming <laughs> to collect and eat. For anyone okay, who doesn't know, that's a Curacao speciality, right? Absolutely. The cheese, a ball of cheese. Oh my God, cheese is my middle name. I'm there. <laughs> All right. Good to see you guys. It was really good talking to you today. And you too. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Well, thank you, Paul. That was great. It was great to hear from Paul Pennecook, the CEO of the Curacao Tourist Board. Always has a lot of information to share, and uh, he knows uh, he knows tourism and he knows Curacao. So you, we always get you the best. You know, we get we get Sarah and I get you the best guests. We don't we don't get the ordinary guests. We get the we get the no the ordinary people guests. here. No, no ordinary. No, not at all. We're extraordinary. So I mean, we have to mm-hmm. have you know some extraordinary folks. Um, so now I want to go to our last feature in our show, as always, uh, Island Inbox, where we discuss uh, some things that Sarah and I have kept an eye on. And uh, I'm going to keep in the same vein uh, that Sarah kind of introduced in an earlier segment um, and talk about uh, Belize, but from the perspective of travel changes and personnel changes. There, late last year, a new tourism minister took over. His name is Anthony Mailer, Honorable Anthony Mailer, and of as is often the case in, uh, in government and in business, um, you know, that prompted some personnel changes underneath uh, Anthony. And uh, the longtime tourism director, Karen Bevins, uh, left office. Um, she is a, uh, 
a big figure in Belize tourism. Uh, uh, she and I had a good relationship, and uh, I know many of the uh, travel trade media worked closely with her, and she's a great information provider. Um, there's multiple layers to her uh, departure, and if you want to look into it, I'm not going to get into it here, but the BreakingBelizeNews.com site covers the, the whole uh, uh, situation. Um, but it does point out um, that Caribbean governments, like other governments, but Caribbean governments, because they operate, many of them operate under a system, uh, a parliamentary system where there can be votes of no confidence and governments can change quickly. And when governments do change, at times, tourism, always tied closely to Caribbean governments, changes as well. Personnel changes. And sometimes that prompts changes in uh, uh practices, approaches, protocols. I remember when, uh, let's take Jamaica, for example, Edmund Bartlett's uh, uh, departure and then return as a tourism uh, minister prompted a, just a different flavor of how uh, the tourism marketing was going to take place. So um, travel agents, our listeners, the people who uh, depend on Caribbean tourism, always take a, you know, take a minute to uh, be aware. Make sure you know um, what the uh, what the changes are in uh, in the governments of the Caribbean. It may impact tourism. And you know, we live in the age of the internet, so you can always look online and see what's going on. You know, in the destination, if you uh, follow the right uh, you know news reports, credible news reports. So uh, that's uh, something I wanted to bring to us as well. Well, Brian, I I have to unfortunately. A little bit of sad news that I have to report that came across my um, my my desk, um, and I take it very personally because I used to work with this person. You may or may not have heard by now that on April twenty fourth, David Roper, who was the director of industry relations for Sandals, unfortunately passed passed away. David had worked with the company for more than thirty years. He and I worked together for four years, and he was such an amazing fellow. He was affable. He was funny. He had a great personality. He had wonderful relationships within the tourism industry and the travel industry. And you know, he literally was my like my first line boss for four years at Sandals. I hadn't seen him for a long time. We hadn't worked together closely for a long time. However, I would see him at least once a year at Caribbean Marketplace at a big event that we always have in January. And I would always be so delighted to see him. And I would call him D-Ropes. And his name for me, for whatever reason, was Puss. And so we'd see each other across the crowded conference room hall and, and then across the trade show floor. And I'd be like, D-Ropes. And he would say, Puss. And it was just always so good to see him. And so, you know... I am not the only one. So many people are so sad um, to have him not here anymore. And certainly our industry is not the same. Um, you know, we had Butch Stewart die earlier in the year. Now David Roper has gone. He leaves behind his Sir wife, Royston. Donna. Yes, Sir Royston also um, in Grenada. Uh, David leaves behind his wife, Donna. And his brother, Brian Roper, who some of you may know, is a GM of Sandals Ocherias. So I just wanted to take a moment to recognize and remember David, who really was, you know, a titan in our industry also, and really a lovable and wonderful person. So, you know, what good, David. We will miss you. We will miss you in Caribbean travel. When you look at the social media response to the news about David, you know how beloved he was because every, mm -hmm. almost everybody I knew in um, 
in, uh, on social media who's involved in Caribbean tourism has something wonderful to say and a picture to share and a moment to share. About yes. So, so thanks. Thanks, Sarah, from somebody who's who is very close to him. Um, mm. I want to turn to another item on um, one of our one of the key Caribbean destinations, one that Sarah and I, we, we travel to quite often, Puerto Rico. And uh, yes, in a many a marketplace in a we've had there. Right. Oh, I mean. Plus, Sarah, she knows. Uh, we'll talk about this in another episode. Sarah, every time I go to Puerto Rico, San Juan, she shows me something else that I haven't seen. And I'm like, well, how, many, how much do you know about <laughs> Yeah, it's well, that's because, that's because what Brian is not telling you people is that he's a shopper, as am I. So I like to share my shopping finds with Brian. <laughs> we definitely, we, we hit it hard. So, um, but I want to talk about a key milestone regarding the airports. The island opened two of the regional airports, Mayor Sedita International Airport in Ponce and Rafael Hernandez Airport in Aguadilla. Um, they are reopening due to increased bookings coming into the island. There's more travel. Oh, that's good Puerto news Rico, for them. You know, which is good news for them. Puerto Rico is now served by these two airports and, of course, the main airport, Luis Marin Airport in San Juan, the major international airport. Now, with the opening of the two regional airports, Mercedita is in Ponce, uh, the southern region of the island, which has colorful architecture, historic art, and, of course, stunning natural beauty. And uh, Rafael Hernandez Airport in Aguadilla is in the western region, and it's famous for its laid-back surfer vibe and relaxed culture. And I got to say, among our travels, Sarah and I, uh, we were in Ponce, and I remember us doing the lighthouse <laughs> Uh, yes. In Cabo you Rojo. Know, so we, we, Cabo we Rojo. Been, Cabo Rojo. It was a it was a um it was a ride, a lengthy ride out yes. to, from San Juan. <laughs> somewhat lengthy ride from San Juan out to this district, but it was well worth it. And it, it is another side of Puerto Rico that is um, you know, that you just don't encounter if you don't uh, if you don't get around. It's it's again Sarah and I, we get to a destination, you know, we travel around, you know, for, for better or for worse. And it's almost always better. So <laughs> so uh, that's going to be one thing, more, one more thing to look forward to. Yes, Brian, I'm really looking forward to getting back on the road with you somewhere in some drenched, some sun drenched Caribbean island for sure. But I have to say I have been cheating a little bit because I went without you last week. And I went off to the Turks and Caicos Islands, Brian. Yes, I'm sorry. I apologize. But I, you know, this time, oh. you know, when most people go to the, to the Turks and Caicos Islands, they go to the main tourist hub island, which is Providenciales, also known as Provo. And I did go to Provo. But on this trip, which was a long one for me, I actually visited three other islands. Parrot Key, which I'm sure you know is a private, uh, private island resort, very fancy. But my, the most fun part was that when I was on Provo, I took the ferry and I would, went over to visit two other of the islands, North Caicos and Middle Caicos. And I really just want to talk to people about this because I got to say, if you're going to Provo, you must do a day trip at least. I did two days, but you can do a day trip from Provo very easily over to North and Middle Caicos. It costs $55. You go to the ferry dock at Leeward, which is right at basically at the end of Grace Bay Beach. It takes 25 minutes on the ferry. And most people buy a package that also includes a rental car. So when you arrive at the ferry, there's a company called Al's Rental, rental Car. 
They've got all your documents for you. You just basically sign your waiver and get in a car and go. Now, um, Middle Caicos is only, sorry, North Caicos, where you arrive, is only 41 square miles and with just a few roads. So you're not, you're not going to get lost. You get a map. Not going to get but lost. I'm te- yeah, no, no, I promise you. I promise you. You won't get lost. And, and the roads are really good, actually. Um, so you, you can do, you explore North Caicos a little bit, and then you drive across this causeway to Middle Caicos, which is the further of the islands. So North Caicos has a population of 1,200 people, which sounds small when you compare it, until you compare it to Middle Caicos, which has 200 people living on it. So it's like North Caicos is, is a teeming metropolis compared to Middle Caicos. I, I just can't recommend this place more highly enough, more um, highly enough. So, and, and I predict, you hear it, heard it here first, people, I predict that it is going to be the next big thing in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And I'll tell you why. You know, Provo is lovely. And in comparison to larger destinations like Jamaica or Puerto Rico or Dominican Republic, it's not that uh, developed. It's certainly not overdeveloped, but it's more, much more developed than it was when I first started going there when I worked for Sandals and you I remember stepping out to Grace Bay Beach, looking left and looking right, and there was nothing else and no one else on the beach. Mm. No hotels and nothing else. No development. Obviously, that's changed. And so there are people for whom Provo has just become a little bit too fast. You know, people who wanted to retire and wanted a very, you know, laid back pace of life and are finding Provo a bit too busy. So from the people I spoke to at North Cake in North Caicos, they're telling me that a lot of people who had second homes in Provo are now getting third homes in North Caicos or wanting to make their second home in North Caicos because it's just so much more laid back. And as one North Caicosian person told me, you can do everything on North Caicos that you can do on Provo except for the shopping and gambling. But this is just a quaint island. There are no traffic lights. There's no bank. There's no fast food. There's only five restaurants. Um, I ate in four of them for the two nights I was there. <laughs> and there's there's fewer than 100 rental cars on the island. And there's only one hotel, the very wonderful Pelican Beach Hotel, where I spent some time with the owner, Donna. It's a 14-room hotel right on the beach, on Pelican Beach. has a great, like the the, the hot spot at night, if you can call it that, at North Caicos is at Pelican Beach. It's called Barracuda Bar and Grill. Honestly, I can't say enough good things about North and Middle Caicos, but North Caicos in particular, I think now is a time if you're going to Provo, think about doing a day trip, definitely check it out. And if you're definitely if you're someone looking for somewhere to live in the Caribbean and you like that Turks and Caicos feel and who can rec- who can resist the Turks and Caicos sand and water, think about North Caicos because whereas you'd pay about $300,000 I'm told for a um a quarter acre of land in Provo, you'll pay only about $160,000 over there. So you could build yourself a nice little place and retire and have your castaway Caribbean fantasy. North Caicos, I'm telling you, you heard it here first. Well, there we go. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I mean, that is, uh, that's what the Caribbean's about, part of what it's about. And uh, it's harder than ever to find. So that sounds... Uh, that sounds terrific. I guess we've come to the end of our our most recent episode of Complete Caribbean. And I want to thank our wonderful guest, Paul Pennicook, uh, the CEO of Curacao Tourist Board. And I can't believe we're, we're at the end of another episode, Sarah, but we are. We are. But you know what? Here's a good thing. We'll be back in two weeks with much more news. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, everybody. Thanks for being with us. See you next time.